Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick, and today we are extremely lucky to be having a great conversation with Matt Hayes, the co-founder and head of growth for The Fascination, a curated marketplace for D2C products. It's sort of like a one-stop shop for high-quality D2C products, and Matt has built this out with his co-founder after having seen a lot of success in the D2C space a couple years ago with his mattress brand, Lisa. So he took everything he knew about D2C marketing and D2C product building and has built it into the fascination, this unique take on the marketplace concept that we explore with him today. Hope you enjoy. People go to Amazon or Walmart generally for like commodity products. If you're going to the fascination, you're coming to discover brands you've never heard of before. You're looking for a curated selection that is presented to you by people like you. We see ourselves as like the new antithesis to Amazon. If there's a place to go to shop 100% of brands that you know you'll love, go to The Fascination. Too often, marketers struggle to turn customer data into actions in a timely manner. Simon Data's customer data platform gives you the ability to drive faster marketing results from a centralized platform. Visit simondata.com slash DTC to see how Simon can help you accelerate time to value, boost revenue, and improve your marketing team efficiency. Unlock the power of your customer data today by visiting simondata.com slash DTC. Welcome to the DTC podcast, Matt. I always like to start with the why on these podcasts. So can you tell me the why for the fascination? It goes way back. It's the history is is complicated and storied in many, but I think the gist of it really is like, you know, if you look at the market today, if you look at the consumer ecosystem from when I launched Lisa or when we launched Lisa back in 2014 to today, there's been an absolutely explosion of direct consumer brands. And as a consumer, you're like completely overwhelmed with choice, you know, like who do I trust? Are these any good? Et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, as a consumer and as a brand looking from the other side, we saw this mass fragmentation happening in the space and wearing my brand hat and seeing what's happened since, you know, the halcyon days of $50 CPAs in the mattress space to where it is today. It's like, where is it today, by the way, where, where are we at for CPAs in the mattress space? Do you estimate? I estimate, uh, between, depending on the AOV, probably between 300 and $700. So the bounties are good. And so we saw a lot of that. I mean, we saw like, we saw kind of the dark side of the review ecosystem and sort of what can go wrong. And we saw like the wire cutters of the world doing it really above reproach. And we saw this mass fragmentation happening simultaneously. Uh, and for brands, for small brands, especially you see really the need to diversify away from a pure paid search, paid social playbook. I think that's pretty clear now. Like CACs are rising precipitously. They're whatever, 5X probably what they were when we started spending. Uh, And so brands need new acquisition channels that are cost effective. They need new ways to find customers and brand partners. And they want really tight reins around their brand story and the way they're presented on site. And so I think we talk about like 
Walmart or Amazon, like a lot of our brands don't even go on Walmart or Amazon. So, so we saw this sort of white space where all of these brands are popping up and consumers have like browser tab overload, essentially like they are having a real time trying to figure out who's the best skincare when there's 50 skincare brands that have launched in the last six months. And so we provide that curation lens through product reviews and shopping guides that we do real life testing with. Uh, we put our brands through a bit of a curation process where we evaluate what we call the science and the soul of the brand. And then we merchandise brands on our platform, either as sort of premium affiliates or moving more towards a pure dropship e-commerce marketplace. And so, you know, really when you have that level of understanding of a brand story, that sort of network connection, you're, you're able to do a lot of stuff together. And like, that's something that like Walmart and Amazon aren't doing. And so I think that's what young founders crave and that's what consumers crave. And so we're wrapping it up in a nice package called the fascination. So this is something I think about all the time. We've got, you know, legacy brands and, and on our podcast, you know, with our podcast and our newsletter, we have a gr- an incredible cross section of the biggest conglomerates in the world and the smallest up and coming D2C growth darlings. And they're all reading the same. They're all reading our newsletter because they're all on the same field of performance marketing. But when it comes to customers, are you finding that there is do customers? Are they really, you know, are they really interested in buying D2C? Like, are they more interested in D2C brands than they are in legacy brands just by the very nature that they are D2C? Yeah, we honestly, this is a huge topic of conversation and, um, you know, dissension, honestly, among the company, like is D2C a term that we even want to use with consumers? We did a poll on Instagram and more than half of 2000 followers didn't. And these were people that were in the sort of in the ecosystem, you would believe. And so I think, yeah, the the term D2C in and of itself is one that I think we want to stray away from. People think tend to think of like trendy internet brands or trendy Instagram brands as sort of their their primary conduit to finding these types of brands. Uh, and so that's what we're, we're sort of keying into. Yeah, I love it. And it served us really well to, you know, to come out at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, March 2020 with a newsletter that said D to C. Because if you're in the marketing world, I feel like that became the word that was on your lips like all the time. Like, how are we going to build this out? But as far as consumers think they, they I, yeah, I don't think they really think about it that way. They probably like the more personal connection that they have with the brands and all of the things that kind of come with the D to C kind of, you know, mindset. And I feel like your platform is just built to capitalize on all those, yeah. those, you know, more deeper personal connections that people make with these brands. And, and because of that, they want to be able to have a platform for, for reviews and things like that. Yeah. You mentioned reviews earlier and where reviews go wrong. Can you give me an, an example of, of where the review game goes wrong? Yeah, I mean, without like calling out specific examples, I think, you know, in a lot of industries, what you see is the highest bounty gets the highest placement. You know, if it's a top five, top 10 listicle of subscription boxes, right, or whatever it may be, the highest payout, irrespective of whether the product's good, they've tested it, you know, that the company has any sort of moral compass. Uh, it's really just a land grab for commission and conversion. And, and while that can make you a lot of money, you know, that's not what we wanted to build our business on. That wasn't solving any sort of larger problem that we saw any larger societal issues. And so I think we want to, we want to always do it above reproach where we're 
you know, we're actively engaging brands, what we call brand spotting, either through outbound or they come to us through our application process on the fascination.com. And so we really evaluate them by what we call the science and the soul of the brand. Science being sort of the technical aspects of the product, its quality, its value relative to its quality, its performance characteristics, and things about it that our consumers, which are largely millennials and older Gen Z, are going to be looking for. And then we really dig deep into the soul of the brand. And the soul means the founder's story. What were the tenets of the, of the founding of the company? And what's the mission? What, what purpose does it solve in the world? And so we have these badges on our site that feature those brand values pretty prominently across every touch point. And so, you know, you, A, you've got to have at least a badge to make the site and we've got to, to love the products to make the site. And so that's a bit of sort of the qualitative and the quantitative about how you can partner with the fascination. And then from there, it's sort of a, a commercial and logistical discussion around, you know, affiliate versus drop ship and margin and such but you know for the for the most part our criteria is really underpinned our brand partners and and the ones that we've onboarded and we've had to date i think we've had 150 to upwards of 200 incredible d2c brands most of which came inbound and so there's a lot out there and you know that just shows you like the need for curation is there yeah, and, and the need for, you know, if you're running ads, you know that UGC ads are, are what is, are, are driving the boat now, whether, you know, in the live immediate video format or in the social feed or wherever. And so having a, a, a marketplace where uh, reviews are built in is just seems like a no brainer. Are your reviews written and video or just written? Yeah, it's, it's written, it's creative, it's all of the above. So we've got GIFs, we've got videos. We, we have social posts that we do. So we, we create a range of assets when our testers across categories produce these pieces of content. And the production process is, I mean, it's involved, right? It's, it's labor intensive. There's a lot of hands in it. And so the output of that is really thoughtfully created and done based on a high level strategy that we think is going to work long term. But yeah, we, you know, we have a lot of creative that comes out of these things. And honestly, the net result is brands see them a lot. And we only feature brands that we genuinely love. We're not going to try a brand, hate it, and then write a scathing review, you know, just to attract that traffic and get sales. So that's not part of our ethos. Um, we really genuinely feature brands that we love. And then that allows us to go to a brand and say, hey, we've got this great piece. It's performing well on an organic perspective. If you want to amplify it with paid through our handle, here's an opportunity to drive some more conversion. And so that playbook of whitelisting through paid social has scaled up significantly and it's driven a lot of conversion for a lot of our brands. This is something we've talked about on the podcast for over a year now. Something that Pilot House, the agency that we spun out of does is is sometimes they'll create third 
party brands where essentially, you know, if you're selling watches, it'll be a gentleman's watch, you know, curated type site where we actually put the content in there, but it just allows the brand to run a different look in the newsfeed and get a different perspective on products. You guys are doing it in a bit more of a, obviously more legit way because you literally are that site. Are brands finding this approach to be as or more profitable than ads directly to the brand or do they just view it as a part of their mix? It's definitely a part of their mix. And I would say it varies. We've had you know, several partners that it, we just knock it out of the park for that partner. And I think where we're seeing the most success is when you have higher consideration products or products that require more research, more thoughtfulness and a real decision to make. I think some of the some of the fashion products or, or like beauty products haven't seen as much uplift with us, but but still. I think they see the value in honestly just running an alternative handle in their feed and getting those additional touch points. And so almost every brand's happy to continue running just those creatives to that content because it's it's something new and in the journey, you know, for the consumer. I could see it working really well bottom of funnel, especially when they're in that consideration yeah. phase and they see the brand from another you know perspective. I, I really like that model. Yeah. I wanted to ask about your so your badges. I was just checking out your TikTok feed. Uh, I know it's a little you haven't been putting too much there, but I see see some things there, and I saw some issues that you were bringing up. Uh, about products that I hadn't even thought about before. Uh, one of them was about universal sizing, about how like 70% of, of women in the U.S. are, you know, are plus four, the size 14, but how so few clothes and options are made in these sizes. And I thought that's a really interesting issue uh, in the marketplace. I wanted to ask, like, what are the other big, like, hot button issues that you find customers are gravitating towards in making purchase decisions by? Yeah, I mean, that's a great call. I think just generally speaking, we like to feature culture defining brands. And and that's one of the things that we consider culture defining. It's like going against the established norms and putting yourself out there in a way that's meaningful. So, you know, Girlfriend Collective is absolutely like the example for that. You know, I think like breaking the taboo around sexual wellness is something that, you know, we're diving into with products like Dame. You know, I think that there's a a huge groundswell of these like manscaping products, right? Whether it's manscaping itself or the men's skincare brands or any number of brands in that ecosystem where we're just trying to tell that like trending industry story and bring it to the forefront in a way that's meaningful to our consumers to say, hey, you know, like this isn't taboo. You can try this stuff. I feel like fertility products could be really big in the coming years as well. As mm-hmm. there's, I think there's like a secret crisis, of, you know, with fertility that we don't really talk about a lot. But I could see brands that address that issue being being able to catch the the lightning storm. Yeah, another one is like non-alcoholic. The non-alcoholic movement has been huge. People that are drinkers their whole life are are getting into these non-alcoholic drinks because they taste great and they're healthier and. And so, yeah, we latch on to all those sorts of trends. Amazing. And my friend actually just started a shout out to Everything Dry, my friend's uh, non-alcoholic nice. uh, business that he started here in town. He sort of changed his whole life around with it. And it's uh, it's kind of taking off. So that that is a really cool trend. Any other trends that you're seeing in this space that you're that you're interested in? Generally, like if I think about like the acquisition strategy of a lot of these brands at a high level, most of them are, are really thinking about diversification really quickly whether that's in the omni-channel, whether that's, you know, acquisition outside of paid social uh, and looking at a lot of these like new channels like us, like co-op commerce, like thing testing, where they can get brand exposure at like a marginal CAC to them. 
and it's bringing in new customers. And so, you know, I, I think as, as CACs get more and more squeezed, people are going to look for more and more opportunities to get themselves out there in that sort of way. I love it. How do you see other like giant marketplaces like Amazon and Walmart? Do you see them as competition? Uh, maybe a sliver, but for the most part, no. Like, <clears throat> I think people go to Amazon or Walmart generally for like commodity products. Uh, and it's more of a, a like lowest price play. Whereas if you're going to the fascination, you're coming to discover brands you've never heard of before. You're looking for a curated selection that is basically being presented to you by people like you. And it's a very small subset of what you would get at like a Walmart or Amazon. And so, like I said, I think, you know, very few of our brands even go on Amazon to start. And so we sort of see ourselves as like the new antithesis to Amazon. It's not everything for everybody. It's not prime next day shipping for everything, but if there's a place to go to shop 100% of brands that you know you'll love, go to the fascination. How does your email strategy play out? Are you cross-selling different products to different people based on how they engage your product? We're starting to, yeah. So once we build out the marketplace, that's going to be like job one for us. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's so much cross-sell opportunity within categories that are complementary brands that aren't competitive for one another. Um, so we're going to start, you know, using flows and automations to do that pretty heavily. We're leaning into email and SMS and actually push notifications, whether that's through, you know, welcome or browse or card abandonment strategies, even post-purchase. Um, it hasn't launched yet, but we're using a, a tool called Rebuy for product recommendations. And so I think once we get sort of our nice assortment of brands in, there's going to be so much opportunity for, you know, a Vincero customer to be introduced to Oliver Shorts where you would have never heard of them because of our, the many ways that we're introducing cross sells throughout the site. And so what's nice is that rebuy, I mean, their remit is sort of like we're trying to replicate Amazon's functionality for the D2C brand. And so we're basically saying like, okay, we've got this curated list of brands. Let's pick up some of that technology and throw it in here. So we're excited for that. Let's talk a little bit more about the actual, like where the commerce happens on the platform, because there was another platform that we had on as an advertiser that I'm blanking on right now. But what they did is they allowed you to essentially like just host a bunch of checkouts on a different site for a bunch of different, you know, great checkout processes that they liked. And they, and they basically had this technology that allowed you to just host a brand's checkout process on your site. I was wondering, if, are you guys going to be building towards this idea of a headless commerce and actually having brands checkouts or is it, how are you actually making the sale? Are you sending um, people to those sites with an affiliate code or how does that actually work when the rubber meets the road on the e-commerce side? Yeah. So it's not live yet. What we're ultimately talking about right now, if you go to the fascination, you'll see, for any brand page or product page that you click through, you'll ultimately go to the brand via an affiliate. Um, what we should be launching next week, hopefully fingers crossed, is the first sort of V1 of our, our dropship marketplace. And that'll allow you to basically add a burrow sofa, a Lisa mattress, bowl and branch sheets, all to your cart, check out on the fascination with free shipping and free returns and behind the scenes, our technology takes care of the rest. And so clean user experience, it all happens through the fascination. And so that's the goal. 
do you do um, promotions and sales on the Fascination, or do you just stick generally with the the, the price of the product? Uh, we're thinking about creative ways to do that because you know there's like this idea of map pricing where you don't want to undercut your vendors, which we understand, and so. I think loyalty is going to be the big driver there in sending sharing referrals, um, come back and use store credit, you know, all those sorts of tactics where you're not discounting off the product, but you're asking someone to make a purchase first in order to get something. And so those sorts of tactics are, are going to drive loyalty. And then I think that there's a lot of other stuff that we'll be layering on with much more fun sort of gamification plays too. Yeah, in that environment, I'm sure there's all sorts of neat things you can do there. And it's such a high quality consumer. I think that you're curating here mm-hmm. too, who, who wants this curated experience, who wants this high quality experience, seems like a really valuable play in the long term. How how are you growing it? What have been the biggest levers uh, for growth that you, you've been able to enact for the fascination? Honestly, we've been really, really thoughtful about growth. You know, we, we've launched about eight months ago, right? And the strategic play was always build out the publisher platform, sort of V1, establish really strong direct partnerships with, call it 100 brands. We've, we've got almost 200 now. Prove out that we can generate several revenue streams and start to build out the marketplace capability. And so all the growth that we've had has really been focused on organic traction, whether that's you know, a really heavy focus on our SEO content strategy and building organic search to drive down CPLs or leveraging whitelisting, which drives traffic without the expenditure. Um, and then, you know, from our paid perspective, you have to think about it slightly differently. You know, we're taking a percentage of a percentage. And so we've got to find the pockets of efficiency where we can arbitrage a dollar and turn it into two or three dollars um, and then take that at a level further even you want to fish when the fish are swimming so we're really double tripling down during big buying events like memorial day labor day black friday cyber monday so you know our spend is going to be very very calibrated where it's not an always on strategy maybe but we do things like endorsement media influencers, heavy focus on retention, organic search and SEO to drive our overall blended CPL down, right? While still being able to spend in pockets. And then then once we move more and more partners over to the marketplace, we'll have margins where we can start to spend more and more and more and we'll get brand traction. I love it. And those AOVs, you know, on those higher ticket items are probably crucial going forward to where your, you know, your margins get a little bit bigger potentially. Yeah, we, we see AOV growth and basket size as tremendous levers to pull and, and sort of making it all work. So we're already thinking like whether it's the, the merchandising assortment of who we bring on the site, right? Like the categories and the collections that we build, it's all really important to getting to those to those numbers. So a lot, a lot of that is our team behind the scenes doing great work. How did nutrition brand Newsist increase their cart conversion rate? They became an eco-friendly brand with EcoCart. EcoCart is a free e-commerce plugin for D2C brands to offer more sustainable products through carbon-neutral ordering options at checkout. Visit ecocart.io to get started on your path to saving the planet while profiting. 
Now you mentioned organic search, and this is something that we're, you know, we, we've produced, I think, uh, almost a million words of content so far in our year of, uh, of, of publication here. And, you know, we're just constantly looking for ways to maximize that content. We ha- I don't think we've done a great job on our content site. We're, re- we're rebuilding it right now. But when you say that you've really um, optimized for organic search, what, is, what does that actually mean from a technical standpoint? Is, does that mean just making sure that you're answering people's questions on the page and you're, you're doing all the little nuts and bolts of getting everything in the right, you know, image tags and everything? What, what does good organic search mean to you? It's a number of things, honestly. I think having the underpinnings of good technical SEO on the site is like an imperative. I think especially with Google updates that are coming and looking at things like cumulative layout shift and other potential ding factors, like we wanted to get those dialed in so it's not harming our rankings. I think from a content perspective, it starts with a really good thoughtful keyword strategy and just sort of thinking about putting yourself in the mind of the consumer and saying, okay, if I was shopping for a mattress, for instance, what are the, what are the top keywords that I would be searching for? And how do I back into a really high converting direct response oriented, but objectively written piece that's entertaining. So it's got to hit all the SEO benchmarks. It's got to have keywords. It's got to be relevant. Uh, the content has to be original, but it also has to be, entertaining and share worthy. And so the last component is really sort of backlink building, whether that's saying, you know, Hey, Lisa, we wrote this great piece about you. Can you put it on your blog or can you share it with social or share it in an email? And so that sort of like last minute syndication when we do a product review or we did a piece about, you know, 16 women led brands that are going to rule the world in 2021 and like 10 out of 16 of them put it on their sites and shared it out. To all our, so like that network effect gets to be crazy. So we call that ego bait and that ego bait drove a lot of our original sort of organic traction. And, um, you know, people like to be flattered. They like to make sort of lists and they like to be talked about and they like to, to be given content. It's, it's great when like you can hand someone a piece of really good content and say, Hey, you're featured in this, go share it. And so we're always thinking with that in the back of our minds, like how can we build up our brands in one form or another? I feel this is like, this is an inception moment because we're literally engaging in ego bait right now, which is, and it's been a huge part of our growth strategy, right? And I think it's, it's underpins yours as well, where, you know, we're constantly meeting with all of the people that you should know about in the D2C space, and then they'll share the content with all of their people, you know, who know them. Um, And it it really, it's been, it's been the major way that, that, that we've grown ubiquitous in all the places that we want to be. And I imagine it's the same for you guys. I think that's probably like a huge part of your growth strategies, getting the brands themselves to share this content to their audience. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we think of like, honestly, we think of the quote D to C as the absolute tip of the spear. Like that's, that's the industry insider people. They understand the world. They know the tricks, but they're also like the hardest of hardcore early adopters that are actually going to share you and they'll be the first ones to buy when you launch. And so you got to get them jazzed up about what you're doing. And so I think we've done a pretty good job of that. And now we need to cross the chasm, so to speak, to get to those broader base of millennial consumers who haven't heard of us, who don't probably, know D2C. Yeah, yeah don't, don't, don't know care. D2C. Yeah, they know trendy Instagram brands and they know 
you know, who, what, where, or like to know it or whatever, you know, whatever they use. Yeah. And so we've got to infiltrate that next layer of consumer and get in their consideration set and prove to them that we're worth checking out too. Have you done anything with brands that do drops? I know, I know that particular younger, younger set, uh, you know, I know some brands that are just really blown up by controlling the scarcity and, and having hypes around drops. Have you ever worked with brands like that are engaged in that kind of a customer acquisition strategy? A little bit. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't paced with it as well as we'd like to. I think Sharma has a lot of brands that, that employ that sort of strategy because they have to. But yeah, that's one of the things like, whether it's a drop that's going to sell out or even just like when Allbirds releases like a funky, cool new shoe and people are just clamoring to buy every single Allbird, like product alerts real time, as soon as we hear about them, is going to be a key part of our like SMS and retention strategy. And so, you know, I want that to be really impactful for our community. What's your gender mix with the fascination? Is it, is it mostly men, mostly women, or is it a good, good mix? It's a, it's slightly skewed women, um, but it's a good mix. Yeah, pretty much hit the mark for the, the millennial consumer and, and skew slightly older, actually. Yeah, we've got a, a good mix of everyone from age to demo. So there's there's stuff for everyone, honestly. You brought up a really good point too, and this is something that we, you know, we've got almost 50,000 subscribers now on the newsletter, and you brought up a good point about this, people in our world, in this D2C world, being also sort of like often ideal consumers and and potential product champions, because we know, you know, we're excited about these kinds of brands. We're actually going to be taking on our first advertiser in a com- upcoming issue that's going to pay, and, and they're, they're a D2C product. This is the first time we've sort of bridged the B2B to B2C chasm. I was wondering, do you, you must probably also have a lot of B2B people who follow the fascination as well just for to keep track of product trends and what people are, are responding to totally yeah i mean yeah the shopify ecosystem the, the martech space like a ton of b2b you know sales and marketing people they're all over it and they're early adopters of it and i think that when they see stuff like us come out you know they they share it with their clients and they dig in to learn best practices about how we're using their specific platform in our stack and, and things like that. But I think it's it's great because they're great ambassadors for some of these brands, including us. You've got 200 brands sort of signed up. You've probably worked with a lot of these brands that you um, you find aspirational, that you personally like. We, we like to use the podcast as a, uh, a manifestation platform. So are there any brands out there that you really think should be on the fascination that you haven't been able to go? You have any like goal brands that you want on the fascination? I mean, to me, like, D to C is it's starting to become a blurred line. It's like I would love to have a quote unquote enterprise brand. It's maybe not D to C to everyone, but everyone loves like a Patagonia, for instance, or uh, on running is a good example of a brand that's really blown up that I don't know if they're D to C or not, but they're just a great brand. So I'm kind of of the mind now. It's like brands, whether they started direct or not, like, there's still cool brands out there that I'd love to have our consumers be able to consume. Patagonia is a really good example because they're sort of like a pre D2C brand that has a lot of the aspects that are the best parts of D2C. They've got the great founding story. They've got the super high quality. They've got the very specific niche audience. So I see that as a really cool, cool crossover to aim for. So if you're, if anyone knows anyone who works at Patagonia, uh, get them in touch with Matt. Or Yeti. I think, I yeah, think Yeti would be great. Yeti would be sweet. Yetis are amazing. I love it. Okay, I want to ask you, this is a question we sort of ask in all podcasts, and I'd be interested in your particular case. Um, 
if we were to give you a $50,000 grant to scale the fascination, uh, you know, it, it, put it towards your marketing budget, where would you in your business right now put $50,000 to see the biggest impact? Uh, I would probably spend most of it on sponsorships and influencers and, and sorts of endorsement media right now. And if I had to parse it out, I'd probably say 20 towards like sponsored media and sponsored posts, 10 towards paid for retargeting paid social Facebook. And then, yeah, maybe I think probably just a, a really large scale, what I, what we're calling like a curated collection activation where, and a lot of it would be gifted product, but we basically find, call it 10 influencers, right? Across categories that mean a lot to us, like men's fashion or accessories or home and lifestyle or health and wellness. And we get each of those influencers a full suite of fascination products from that category. We deck them out. They try all the products. They create a lot of creative. And it's almost like they're putting it out to their audience with beautiful content, but we get rights to all the content in perpetuity. So we're getting traffic. We're possibly getting conversions. We're getting emails. And now we're getting a lot of great content, right, that we can go out and, and use in perpetuity. So that would be my sort of logic behind the influencer activation. To your point, I think that there's a lot of um, adjacent media properties where a lot of our consumers are hanging out that we haven't played with either through partnerships or sponsorships or whatever. Um, so to get like a dedicated post or a meaningful sponsored post talking about our story in a couple of those, I think would be impactful. And then some money to spend off the back of it to make sure that we're capturing and retargeting and driving it home for, for our users. This is the most detailed answer I've ever received. And I think now I've got to figure out a way to scrounge that up to actually invest because I think those, that was, those were very, very sound answers. I was going to ask you too, like when you, when you're trying to promote the fascination, how much of is it, is it that you're trying to promote this amazing new sort of like curated experience versus how much are you promoting the actual products that they get access to because of the fascination? It sounds like a pretty even mix. Yeah, I think it is a pretty, and I think it'll, it'll change over time. I think, you know, right now as we test, we're trying to test, like I said, pockets of efficiency where, you know, we've got a Brooklyn and bestseller sheet set and we think that we can get a three X row as on that. And so we'll spend just on that sort of product funnel. Um, but more broadly, I think as we scale to, we're going to be looking at these more brand building endorsement type, you know, campaigns, whether it's sponsored media or podcasts or some combination thereof to drive home what we do as a brand. And I think our social impact story, as it comes more and more to light, it's going to help with that. Uh, it'll get our, our feet in the doors a little bit. And so, so yeah, we're always going to have a healthy mix of, of DR and sort of more outer funnel stuff, stuff that's inherently less trackable, but we know it's working because there's other signals coming in. Have you tried any, any podcast or newsletter advertising yet? Uh, and not with the fascination. I spent gobs of money at Lisa. So we, unless it's changed dramatically, we understand the playbook really, really well. And you got it to work. Yeah. It worked really, really well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, for mattresses, I feel like that's a big sweet spot with that with that big AOV. Uh, what was the best podcast you ever advertised on? Uh, our well, it's, it's 
kind of hard to say. Our, our longest runner was one called Comedy Bang Bang. We ran with them. Oh, for I know Comedy Bang Bang. That's years. great. Um, and then we were on a lot of barstool shows really early on. And so, honestly, the key for us, at least with podcasts, was like find shows that Casper hadn't already gobbled up and get on them early, lock them in. And if they're producing efficiency, just like lock in the rate. And so we would lock in these pretty sick rates early on. And the podcast would grow and grow and grow. And we had these low rates. And so we just rode that with some really high performers. We, you know, we kept the hosts really happy. We let them do whatever they, whatever they wanted, basically. And so that strategy in mass across several different categories uh, paid dividends. Very cool. Nice. So if people want to get in touch with you, they want to know more about Fascination, the Fascination, they, they could go to thefascination.com. If you're a brand out there uh, who wants to get into this marketplace and, and see what it's all about, what do you recommend they do? Yeah, I think the easiest thing to, to get in front of us is uh, just go to thefascination.com. Uh, in the footer, there's a link that says apply as a brand. It'll ask you some very simple questions and then it basically feeds right into our Slack. And so... We'll get dinged and um, Maggie Gibson from our team will follow up on the partnership side. It's been great. We've had like 800 brands apply. That's amazing. You'll get some more from this for sure. Are you just fully kitted out then? Or do you just have like, do you just have like a total D2C arsenal in all aspects of your home and wardrobe at this point? Uh, I'm pretty well kitted out. We actually started sending products like to testers over in Phoenix. So I didn't get some of the good stuff, but yeah, today's. Today's pretty kitted, so that's awesome. You know, it's a it's a fun gig. I can't complain. Are you able to say? I know you you can't. You, maybe you shouldn't play favorites, but are you able to say like mention a few of like the favorite integrations that you've had on the fascination with brands? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we've done tremendous work with cuts. We've done really well with them. They're a really high performer. I actually did a a review of Keeps Hair Loss, which I did for over the course of almost a year. Maybe it was a year, and um. True results, first of all. I mean, 100% real results. <laughs> I got to get on it. And <laughs> it's a little late for me, maybe. <laughs> but um, it's been a huge performer, and so they amplify it with some other paid to drive even more to it. But, like, you know, those are two on the paid side, on the organic side, crushing for us. And then we've done a lot of great, like, sort of giveaway-type integrations with brands, whether that's Aloha uh, Protein. Um, we've... We've done some great write-ups for Huron and skincare, a lot of uh, health and wellness brands. So products are still coming in. We've got quite a backlog, but it's really fun to like explore these products and see like all the ingenuity that goes into every one of them. It's great. I'm, I'm always blown away just by, you know, how you pay for quality and how much, like when you just look at the clothes that you, you keep year over year, they're just speaking specifically about clothes. Like there's just such a huge difference between well-made clothes and crappy made clothes in terms of how much yeah. joy, like, and I was just looking at a t-shirt the other day and it's like, it's a $70 t-shirt. It's a lot, but like, this is a t-shirt. Like I, I could have that t-shirt for 10 years. You pay for quality is all I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's leave it there, Matt. I, I, I look forward to catching up with you again in the future, just to hear more about uh, exciting trends in the D2C space, especially maybe even as we bridge into some of those, those, those more legacy brands. Um, yeah, thanks a lot. This has been great. Yeah, man. This is awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.